And we know that if every single person who worked in the accounting field took a position tomorrow, there would still be close to a half a million vacant positions. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for this show. Well, for today, we have another special edition or a really a special topic episode. Lee Fredrickson is joining us from Hinge, a specialized marketing firm for the professional services industry, i.e. things like accounting. That service line, though, has taken him into the realm of recruiting and retention issues And more specifically, recently into the great resignation phenomena that's happening in today's labor market. In this episode, we're going to discuss what exactly is happening regarding resignations, some of the motivators behind that phenomenon, and insights that we can draw from it from both the employer's perspective and from the job seeker's perspective alike. Another interesting fact is that Lee is a behavioral psychologist by training, so this is going to be a really interesting discussion. If you do enjoy and learn something from this episode, please check out our website online as well. You can find us at mgrar.com. And in particular, we have a class there called Individual Tax Bootcamp On Demand. Make sure you check out the On Demand section of our website because that specific course is built for individuals that want to do tax someday, possibly on their own or possibly at a firm, and they haven't had the opportunity to have a good, strong internship. So you don't have that base level of knowledge. Our on-demand course is built for individuals with little to no tax experience to be able to get CPA firm level preparation knowledge. So make sure you check that out if tax is of interest to you. And as always, if there's anything that I personally can do for you in your own career, or for accounting associations that you may be involved in, please reach out to me as well. I'm happy to help in any way that I can. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started with today's guest. Here's Lee Fredrickson of Hinge. Well, hello, Lee. Welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this. Well, for the audience, today we're doing another special edition episode, definitely on career issues, but looking at more of a a current phenomenon in the job market than a career story, per se. We're fortunate to have Lee Fredrickson, the managing partner with Hinge, on the line, and we're going to talk about the market phenomena that's been referred to in the news recently as the Great Resignation. Lee's team approached me about this, and I thought it would be a great topic for this show because, after all, this is a podcast about careers, but secondly, this is just really a topic I'm very personally interested in, really interested in. So I'm really looking forward to this. Well, Lee, before we get deep into that discussion, let's start with just a little bit about who you are, what Hinge does, maybe how you ended up you know, working there and what your role is, and then how you ended up being interested in the great resignation. Okay. Well, my background is a little bit atypical for someone who's involved in branding and marketing for professional services. I'm a behavioral psychologist by training, and uh, I was a university professor and a tenured professor, and I realized that I was more of an entrepreneur than I was a professor. 
So I ended up getting a job with one of the big four, and that's how I learned about the world of business and marketing. I really got interested in marketing because of my work in public health. That's how I initially got interested, but I found out I loved it, and I loved the process of building companies. So uh, Hinge turned out, I got involved with Hinge because I was a client of Hinge, and I sold the company I had and was really looking forward to what did I want to do in that part of my career when I could do what I love doing. And that's how I ended up uh, at Hinge. And as I said, we do branding and marketing for professional services. But one of the things that's uh, kind of unique about Hinge is we uh, take a research-driven approach. We research the fastest growing firms and what they do and how they manage their strategies, their hiring, the people, all about those organizations. And we brace our interventions on what we learn from that. So in many ways, it's been a kind of a culmination of my career and something that's taken the teaching and the research and put those all together in a very dynamic and rapidly changing environment. So that's how I got to be there. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Okay. How long have you been with Hinge? I've been far? with Hinge uh, since 2008. So it's been a little while now. And wow. in terms of how we got interested in this, uh, we followed the data. I mean, what we learned early on is that for a firm to be successful, you must have really three things in place. And if you're missing any one of those, you got a problem. First, And foremost, of course, you have to have the people. But secondly, you have to have the clients that are the right kind of clients for you. And then you have to have the processes and systems in place to be able to do that. And firms can progress nicely, but eventually they'll run into a roadblock with one of those three systems if they aren't really focused on that. And we saw so much happen in the labor and job and career where people were really rethinking their careers. And that has led to what has been called the great resignation. Wow. So that's how we got in there because it was critical to the success of firms. Okay. So you may, I wanted to ask you sort of why this is happening. And you mentioned people are rethinking their careers. Mm-hmm. What conclusions? do you guys perceive that people are coming to (laughs) about their careers? What's the result of that rethinking? Uh, I think that the result of it is different people are coming to different conclusions. I think one of the things that's happening is because there's been such a change in how people work, particularly in the professional services, with remote work being moving from something that was a uh, exotic experiment on a a part of a few firms to something that's become sort of an expected way of doing business. So all of a sudden, people found out, you know what? I can work in different ways. I can work remotely. I can live in other places. And that allows me to be with a different team that I respect more in a culture that values me more or in a uh, work on a schedule that allows me to spend more time with my disabled son, or whatever the case might be. I think it's sort of been an opportunity for people to say, I want to consider a change, and now change is much more possible and much more practical than it was even a few months ago. 
Sure, sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely seeing that as well. Yeah, and when you look at why people leave, mostly they leave because they're not happy with the culture, some aspect of the culture or the work-life balance of it. That tends to be the thing that drives people to resign. And now they have more flexibility than they had before. And that makes a big difference. Yeah, I'm curious. I know I didn't prepare you for this, but it's just occurring to me. Do you have any statistics on, you know, related to the great resignation, a turnover number or, or yeah, any statistics that you're using with your clients or from any studies? Well, you guys we do. Know? Yeah. I mean, uh, we know, for example, that, uh, the month before last, uh, about 4 million people resigned. And we know that if every single person who worked in the accounting field took a position tomorrow, there would still be close to a half a million vacant positions. So we're dealing with a situation where there is a shortage. I think one thing from a recent study really points this out. When you look at the number of people who are actively looking in, uh, for a new position in accounting, it's only 3% of people are actively looking. And what that really means is the people who are interested in making a move or something are already in the process of moving. They've already moved. And that's what we're seeing. It, it's just there is a very small pool of people who are actively looking because so many have already changed. Okay. And we have about another 46% of people who are not currently moving, but would consider moving if the right opportunity came around. And they're happy where they are, but they would consider. So if you think about that, this is a, these are some very big numbers and I certainly have to be very sobering for any managing partner. Mm. Well, that that pulls us back into company culture <laughs> really easily. That's a good segue. So how does company culture affect basically keeping people there, you know, preventing resignation? Or maybe since I know branding, you know, is y'all's specialty as well. I mean, I guess I know it has an effect. But what mm-hmm. effect can it have? And, and I guess, what are some of the best practices to make sure you're getting the, you know, the most positive effect out of your culture and branding efforts? Yeah. Well, when you look at what people are missing and what they're looking for, sometimes money, uh, an additional salary is part of the equation. And that is particularly true if the person is relatively happy with the culture where they are at. And then it really takes money to move them. However, if that's not the case for most people that move, it's not because of money. They tend to leave because of the culture. So in other words, if you're happy with the culture, you're unlikely to move unless you get something that's significantly better. And that would be significantly better in money or significantly better in the role or something along those lines. If you're happy with the culture, you're likely to be happy with the money. Okay. When you see a client or an organization that has, you know, a resignation problem, you know, a turnover problem, and you perceive it's a culture issue, what are some of the first pieces of advice or some of the first things you work on? with that organization? 
Yeah, well, fortunately, we know from the research, we know a fair amount about the kinds of things that tips the scale in terms of what people are tend to be unhappy about with the culture. So first and foremost is the immediate team that they work with. In other words, the people that they're working with on a day-to-day basis. What's the relationship between them? And that is often the root of unhappiness for many people, dissatisfaction with a particular team member that they're working with on a day-to-day basis. After that, the next biggest factor is not really having a vision for the future. In other words, it's an organization that's going along, but it doesn't really have a vision of what it's trying to accomplish, where it's trying to go, uh, anything that inspires people and makes them feel like they're a part of a team that's accomplishing something worthwhile. So that sort of a vision is another thing that is often missing and that uh, we recommend that folks focus on. And then finally, it's the leadership vision for our interesting and challenging kind of work. Am I doing work that I'm learning new things? Is it challenging? Is it interesting? Uh, Am I growing as a result of it? And so it's usually within that combination, the vision for the future the challenging nature of the work and the people that they're working with, that's usually where the problem arises. So that's usually where the fix can be found. Mm. Now, some jobs, it's just, it can be difficult to make them interesting. Some are just naturally a little more repetitive. Have you ever had an employer bring that up, particularly in like some of the clerical kind of roles? Well, that is an issue, but one of the things that I think is an important lesson is that everything that you hate doing, there's somebody who loves doing it. For me, rote repetitive work would be, uh, you know, not quite a prison sentence, but, you know, something (laughs) that uh, doesn't work for me. However, you know, I know some people who that's the kind of work that they're really looking for. That's, they want something where they don't have to, because of where they are in their life, other things are going on. They want something where they can leave work at work. They don't have to think about it. It's not too taxing. So I would be cautious about making the assumption that because we find a particular job or configuration to be unappealing, that that's going to be true for everybody. Now, having said that, it's relatively easy to structure positions so you have a variety of tasks. So it's not all the bad stuff if there is bad stuff and good stuff. So you can mix it up a little bit. And that often seems to be sufficient to help structure the position. Okay. Okay. Good point. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. That is a good point. So so I'm curious what your thoughts are on the market going forward, because in some ways we've settled into a new, new way of doing business. And in other ways, there's just so much is still dynamic about the market, you know, the job market, the economy. And you mentioned that in a lot of cases, I mean, people that were going to make a move, they've already made a move at this point. Yep. So what are your thoughts? Because we're sitting here, we're recording this at the beginning of October, you know, 2021. What are your thoughts as we get into 2022 about, yeah, what the job market may be like? Well, I think the job market, from the point of view of someone who's seeking a career, uh, looking for it, it's hard to imagine a better job market. There are so many opportunities. We have two or three things that are 
forces that are driving the market. And I think in the short term, what we're going to see is pretty much like what we see right now. I think this upcoming tax season is expected to be kind of a, a very rough one for a lot of folks scrambling to find resources. But I think over the longer term, we're going to see a much more of a push to people hired remotely. So I think it really opens up the door for a lot of younger people in their careers to work in industries, to work with firms that they might not have considered in the past with the possibility of remote work. We're seeing more and more announcements along that line. PwC just came out with a big announcement about new remote work policies. So I think the major for employers as well as the minor ones are going to be much more open and willing to entertain remote work situations. Now, second thing I think it's going to really do is it's really drive automation. The automation of tasks, particularly routine accounting one, and I think the audit market is over time going to be changed with the use of blockchain technology and so forth. So I think the extent to which you have a technology orientation, that is also going to speak very well for uh, job prospects going forward. And then finally, I believe there's going to be more and more premium put on the ability to advise clients, to interpret technology, to help them understand the changing financial and regulatory marketplace. Uh, Things like the ESG investing and those more complex scorecards that are evolving, all of those provide wide, wide opportunities for people who want to get in some aspect of the accounting profession and work in the accounting place. It's, uh, so from a job seeker's point of view, I can't think of a better time to be considering your moves. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm curious with your psychology background. So I'm seeing similar things in the market where you have firms, let's just talk about accounting firms, but accounting firms that have a, a home base, you know, the mothership is in a certain city and they, they've started, you know, they let their own people go remote and some of them still come in the office, some and, and, you know, some less than others, but then they've started hiring distance employees remotely now. And mm-hmm. so for an organization like that, where the majority of your employees are in one metropolitan area, one city where they can get together and you know they can come in. And now they're starting to hire people in other states. I'm curious what your thoughts are on, on the effect on culture. How does that affect the long-term culture of the organization? Or what can an organization to make sure it doesn't have detrimental effects on the culture? Well, I think the concern is well-placed. Don't think there's any doubt that what one needs to do when you have a distributed workforce to build a culture is probably more challenging than it is when you have people in one place. However, I think there may be a little bit of wishful thinking there that people may believe that it's easier to build a culture when everyone's in one place than it really is. There are challenges in terms of proactively focusing on and building a workplace culture. 
whether you're remote or whether you're all in one place. I mean, it may be well be easier to do it when you're all in one place, but with a remote workforce, you have to be deliberate about it. You have to build in specific opportunities to exchange information informally. You have to build in ways to develop friendship that can be maintained in that. And, you know, technology is helpful, but instant messaging and those sorts of technologies and certainly video really help buffer that sense of being distant and being away. But it's something you need to work at all the time. And of course, it helps if you have a strong culture and you have a strong vision for what your overall goal is, where you want to take the company, and what type of culture you want to have. Okay. I'm curious. One of the reasons I ask is I do think that it's important to make sure you're retaining these individuals because if you are a firm that generally hired people in your area, now you're reaching out into you know other geographical areas to hire remote workers, there's a possible danger to your own culture, but then there's just a, the danger of higher turnover among that workforce because if they're not that connected to you, you know, and, and they accepted a job yeah. with you, well, who's to say that next year or following year, they just won't accept a job from some other firm, you know, that's hiring remotely. Yeah, that's exactly true. So as with many things, it has the potential for great benefit, but it also has the potential for great harm. It's the, you know, kind of focus on the part of your question about what can you do? I think probably the most central thing or the most important thing you can do is be really intentional and specific about the type of culture you want and what you're trying to build. And we see this in the data when they say, what do they wish they had? Well, they wish that they had more vision for the future from the leadership about where is this company going? Is this part of a company I want to be a part of? Is it something that's important? And I think it's also important to be able to describe your culture succinctly. I look at, in our work, I end up looking at an awful lot of websites from all types of professional services firms. And one of the things that I think people often do wrong is when they're trying to describe their culture, they talk about this list of values. And you see 10 values or 20 values or five values that we all aspire to. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't know of an organization in the world or a person who can simultaneously pursue 12 different variables at the same time. It's just not possible. So by describing your culture in such a complex, complicated way, what you ensure is that no one will really understand what you're trying to say. And that's the paradox of it. Just like everybody understands from a marketing point of view, well, you need an elevator pitch. You need to be able to describe what the value proposition for your product in a few seconds. Well, you need the same thing for your culture. You need the same thing for helping. What is it like to work here? What is your employer brand like? What do you really value? And if you can't say it succinctly in a small phrase or two or three values, I think you're just giving away a great opportunity to communicate. Sure. Okay. Now, I want to ask you about passive job seekers. And, and I guess 
combining that with the culture conversation, what are some of the best practices or the companies that you've worked with that do it well? You know, what do they do to get the passive job seekers to be open when they're approached or maybe to even approach them, you know, as the firm? Or another mm-hmm. way to ask it, if I'm the firm, you know, what can I do to get some of these individuals that would consider a change to approach me? Yeah. It's really an interesting thing, and I know that some of the things we've been talking about are might be a little bit discouraging to uh, some of the people who are recruiting and so forth, but there is a piece of good news here, and that mm. is the things that you need to do to really attract people to your firm are largely the same things you need to do to really attract potential clients. You need to be clear about who you serve. You need to be clear about what you do for them. And you need to be clear about why they would work with you. And that's usually done through some kind of thought leadership in the professional services that communicating your expertise by doing training programs, webinars, seminars, writing blog posts, those kinds of things. Those are the things that signal to the client, oh, this is a company that focuses on this. Well, from a job perspective, from an employment perspective, that's the same thing most people are concerned about with their career. What is the kind of work I'm going to be doing? Who am I going to be working with? What are the type of people? People want to work with a team that's talented, where they can learn things and be challenged. So, the very same things you're doing, presenting your thought leadership to your potential clients also attracts potential professionals. And once we found that, that turned out to be a very great piece of advice for a lot of our clients because we find out you want people who are interested in your specialties and are interested in working with the kinds of clients that you serve. So by having that and of course, obviously, a robust career section that talks about your the career opportunities that are available in your company culture. Those are the things that people care about. And of course, surprisingly, or not too surprisingly, perhaps, that's the thing that your clients care about. They care about what your culture is like as well. They don't like turnover. They want some place where they have employees that are that are happy with their job and excel at what they do. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, there is a lot of conversation from the standpoint of building an accounting practice that it's important to have a niche, have a specialty, and and that kind of thing. It's interesting how it affects the job seeker side as well, and I can definitely see that. Yeah, it's it it goes along with knowing who you are and and understanding yep. the vision of the organization. Yeah, if that's that's if, right, if, they fit together. Yes. Yeah. We do anything for so everyone. Sort of like not that old reason. expression, be who you are. <laughs> oh, there you go. I'm sorry. There you go. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. No, that's a good point. Thank you. Thank you. Well, looking at it from the job seeker standpoint, yeah, I can see there's there's some dangers about a market this healthy as well. If you are thinking that you'd be open to a change and you're looking for an opportunity that fits your needs, do you have any advice? for someone in this job market from the job seeker perspective? I guess dangers to avoid or or opportunities that exist. Yeah, I think one of the things that one should be cautious about is it 
would be real easy in this time to talk yourself into a position where you can't be successful. In other words, to oversell your, uh, because you have people who are desperate looking for talent. So they may hire someone now, or they may overlook or not scrutinize as carefully credentials and qualifications and so forth. So I would say, be careful of what you wish for, because you just might get the job. So you want to find a position, not only where you're going to be happy and well compensated, but also where you're comfortable that you can do the work and obviously grow, but you don't start out right away where you get yourself in a situation where you're just in over your head. And this is anecdotal, but I'm, I'm seeing more of that in this kind of a market where people are getting positions, are getting hired by companies where they might not have in the past, and sometimes they get in a little over their head. So that would be my advice is make sure you're focused on what could be really helpful to it. And then the second thing is I would really use this opportunity for flexibility to also try exploring some things that you might not have tried before or going for some positions that you might not have uh, thought you were qualified in the past. As long as you're comfortable and you know you can do the work, this is uh, you know the best time to get that kind of a position. Mm, those are both great points. Yeah, there's so many opportunities out there. People will give you a shot. But you're right. <laughs> I can see very easy at this point to be promoted to the point of your inability. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's never a pleasant experience. <laughs> no, definitely not. Well, I've got one more question before we get to the final three questions I end every show with. Mm-hmm. But I just have to ask you, you know, there again, the great resignation. How long do you think this is going to last? I think it. I'm going out on a limb here and I can already hear the sound of sawing. So (laughs) I don't know. My estimation is we've probably got another two or three years of this kind of pretty significant realignment. And I think that is not so much just because of COVID, but because the technology of remote work and the ability to do that and open access to uh, video communication that's gotten to the point now where that's a really paradigm shift. So I I think it's going to take a couple, two or three years before organizations sort of figure out how they're going to operate in there. Then I believe the patterns will settle down a bit. Yeah, I can see that because a lot of the changes in organizations are baby steps, you know, they take a few Mm -hmm. steps forward and we'll see how this works. And okay, well, we need to go a few more steps forward and yeah, I can see yeah, how that works. That works pretty well. Let's try a little more. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I do end every show with the same three questions because it just gives us a lot of consistency across the episodes. So I probably better get to those. The first one's usually the easier one. From a career perspective, in your own career, what's been your proudest moment? Well, I think probably my uh, proudest moment was I'm the first person in my family to go to college. And so when I got uh, my doctoral degree in uh, behavioral psychology, I think that was probably the proudest moment because of what it meant not only to myself, but what it meant to my family. So sometimes it's those uh, little accomplishments that uh, really mean the most. Yes. You've had other 
PhDs on the show, but you're the first that has a PhD in psychology <laughs> on our program. <laughs> um, that, uh, that does mean a lot. For Indeed. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, second question, and really it's, it's more of a request. Tell us about something that you learned the hard way. And the more you can tell us about the situation, the better, because that's how we learn from these things. Yeah. Well, I think the lesson that I learned the hard way, it took me a while to learn it. And uh, that was early on in my career. I was just fascinated by all the different things that I could research and I could learn. So I ended up doing research on uh, one topic. And then I got interested and I do it on another topic and another topic. And before you know it, I had a lot of experience and I had a lot of publications and research, but they were scattered across a range of topics. And what I learned, what I realized is that people who had done less were advancing faster than I was. And that was a real sting to learn that because you always thought that by doing hard work and following what you were interested in. And what I learned was that there's a tremendous advantage in terms of focus to be able to go deep enough into an area so you had a significant amount of expertise in that. And then it's easier to build out from that than it is to try to become an expert in a very broad area or a wide series of things. So it's very, very hard to progress in your career as a generalist. And it's much easier and much faster to do it as a specialist. That was the thing I learned at Focus, Focus and Focus. That is an important career lesson. Thank you. Yes. Took me a while to learn it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's something a lot of people learn the hard way. (laughs) For sure. Exactly. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What's the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Well, the best advice, I think, was actually I got from a colleague, and it was about something that I was doing with the best of intentions about joking about something. And he pointed out that some of the people didn't understand that it was a joke didn't understand about it. And I was mortified because how could someone misinterpret this joke as being malicious? And the point was that, and the really the learning lesson, the ad- advice was, is that things that you say offhand or that you don't really think about or that don't mean a lot to you can mean an awful lot to other people. And so understanding that and understanding how your words uh, fall on other ears, I think is probably the best single piece of advice I ever got. That is true. Yeah, you, you need to look at it from their perspective. And yes, I've made that That's mistake right. myself. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> well, I think we all have. It's, uh, but, it, and, you know, the, the good advice was recognizing that that's something that happens and that you can do something about it. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. This is a topic I definitely wanted to cover. You know, the Great Resignation has been coming up so much recently, and and I knew it would be a good opportunity, not just for a, a good podcast episode, but for a little education on my part, too. So 
two birds with uh, one rock. Thank you very, very much. If people want to find out more about your company or the services you guys provide or have a conversation with you, I mean, what's the best place online to look you guys up? Uh, uh, Hinge Marketing. And Hinge is uh, just like it sounds, the thing that opens doors, H-I-N-G-E, hingemarketing.com. And that will get you ability to contact us and a whole bunch of free resources. We are uh, big believers in uh, content marketing and thought leadership. So there's lots and lots of things to learn there. Wonderful. And you guys have a podcast as well, correct? We do. It's called The Visible Expert in which we interview high-visibility experts on how they became that and how they overcame the challenges along the way. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. We will put both of those in the show notes to the podcast. And once again, I just I really appreciate your time, Lee. Thanks for coming on. Well, thank you, Mark. I really enjoyed it. No problem. Well, that was my conversation with Lee Fredrickson of Hinge. And you know, there's there's always a few things I take away out of every episode. And I think for me, there are several things in this episode, but one that sticks out on the employer side and then one that sticks out on the job seeker side. On the employer side, I found it fascinating, the statistic that he shared, that if everyone that had worked in accounting were to take a new job tomorrow, we would still be about half a million short in the industry. And for employers, obviously, that makes for a very difficult situation. For candidates, it means there's a whole lot of opportunities out there. And and frankly, for those just entering the profession, that's good news in terms of career growth and, and getting your first juicy job opportunity. That's really good news. From the job seeker side, I really appreciated that Lee was willing to share the dangers a little bit of a market like this, because I do think it's possible when opportunities abound to try to take too many jumps forward too fast without making sure that you've got the foundational knowledge and foundational ability to be successful in those new positions. And and it's always a personal judgment call. And really, there's no one that can make that judgment call. But I think it is important to realize that that there is some risk and some danger. You know, if you choose to try to move forward or too much forward too fast is probably a, a better way to say that. So definitely a lot of opportunities out there, but you have to know what's right for you. Well, that wraps up another episode of Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers podcast. I really appreciate you spending your time with us. We will be back soon with another interesting career story or with another discussion of something that's affecting the accounting careers market in today's specific labor market. We will see you again soon. I hope you have a great week. After all, this is Where Accountants Go. Where Accountants Go.